Okay, guys, welcome to this week's episode of the SEP, the Southeastern Podcast, Z Network's official Southeastern Podcast. Southeastern Conference podcast here today with Richard Johnson, our friend from the SEC Network. Richard, how's it going? Going good. A couple days before Thanksgiving, literally trying to fit in all of my work so that I can try to take it easy on Thursday, but that's how it is. Yeah, it's been a long, long year for all of us. So I guess we're all thankful for a little bit of time we can take. So Richard was also one of my office adoptive parents when I was in <laughs> SB Nation. Um, when we were at SB Nation, our, my supervisor uh, dipped to save the world uh, three weeks into our internship. And God, we I forgot were, about that. Yeah, we were office orphans, the two SB Nation interns. So we, Richard was great when I was in New York. So now he's off to bigger and greater things at the worldwide leader at the SEC Network. So... Yeah, I'm in a lot of places. Uh, the I guess the map of everywhere I am, uh, it's on my Twitter account, RJ underscore rights. I like people ask me like, what are you working on? And I'm like, I don't know, just go look at the pin tweet because it's a lot of stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, we're, we want to talk about football, but I do first want to talk about a book you wrote over quarantine with a few of your friends from Banner Society and SB Nation called The Sinful Seven. I just want to see Where'd that idea come from? How was it writing a book? All of those things. I read it on a 13 hour drive uh, to Louisiana from Texas. So Wow, you crushed it in one sitting? I did. My I was driving, um, I guess when I was driving back to Baton Rouge, uh, I was staying with my parents during most of quarantine in West Texas. My, my dad was driving. Um, so I just crushed the book the entire way. I will say that is impressive. That is impressive. I we when we went we set out to write it, we were joking about how it would sort of be consumed, and we we're like, yeah, they're like straight savages that are going to read it in one sitting. And I am surprised that you're one of them, but I am very impressed. Uh, yeah, Sinful Seven, Sci-Fi Western Legends of the NCAA. Uh, it is. I mean, I think it's something that. Excuse me. I think it is the most. Uh, it, it's. It is so like, it's the thing I'm most proud of just is the easiest way to put it. Um, in April, me and Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, Alex Kirshner, and Tyson Whiting all got furloughed from Vox Media. Uh, the first four of those people worked with me on the college football desk uh, at SB Nation and at Banner Society. And Tyson was an illustrator at SB Nation throughout who we'd work with on, on this project or that. And Jason, uh, who was our editor at SB Nation, Jason used to, uh, Jason would sort of poke around about doing novels and writing books and stuff like that. Uh, but he sort of knew the behind the scenes thing of Gumroad, which is the store, the online storefront that we ended up selling the book through. And uh, he sort of came to us and was like, you know, do you want to, you guys want to try writing a book or whatever? At the time in April, it was going to be how we were going to pass the time through the summer and our furlough would end after three months and we would return to Vox Media to cover a normal football season because a normal country would have defeated the coronavirus in due time. Uh, clearly that did not happen. Uh, about a month in, so sort of by the end of May, uh, four of us had taken voluntary buyouts to leave SB Nation on our own accord. Uh, Tyson ended up going back after his furlough ended. But we sort of, we got into it and we started writing it and we immediately realized, first of all, when we started getting together that A, we needed an illustrator. So we brought Tyson on. I remember the first Zoom we had, 
um, about how to do this is it was basically Spencer wanted to write a Western and it, you know, we, we sort of toyed around the best way to do it. And the first zoom meeting, he had the map from the game red dead redemption and he had plotted out different sort of big signposts throughout the history of college football, college sports, and sort of with this framework of a story uh, that the NCAA could be the sheriff trying to wrangle the Wild West that is college sports. And if you sort of follow college sports, that is sort of how it happened. Basically, in 1906, Teddy Roosevelt got together with some of the presidents and some of the leading universities in college sports and was like, hey, cut the shit out. People are dying on the field. Uh, and so they initially, the NCAA literally started as a player safety arm and through the decades amassed investigative power, legislative power within the sport, sports, college football and college basketball, men's college basketball. Um, and in, this is sort of the, the backbone to one of my chapters, basically road college basketball and college football's regular season to become what it is now today. Uh, and, and, you know, we sort of took the first seven schools to kind of bow up against the NCAA and we sort of dropped them in a fictional world. And, and that's sort of the way the book is sort of paced. It's a nonfiction story about the history of the NCAA in one chapter. And then the next chapter, we take themes, characters, and, and whatever from that nonfiction chapter and drop them in this fictional world. So there's a train robbery, there is a, a talking bear, there is a cult, there is a, a forced integration uh, by one of my characters uh, uh, to, to kind of tell the story about how college football integrated. Uh, it, it is a deeply weird project. I don't think you could pull it off without the sort of love, trust, admiration, and, and just like working knowledge that the five of us have had. I mean, I've worked with them every day for the last four years. And, and I don't think you can do a project like this unless you've collaborated on that level, at that level with, with the guys like I have, like we have. So yeah, you can pick it up, sinful7.com. It's 99 cents, pay what you want uh, through the end of calendar year 2020. And 20% of our proceeds through the end of the year will go to the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund. So uh, if you're looking for a Christmas present or looking for something to pass the time uh, through December or whenever, pick it up and, and you can get it for basically any e-reader that'll load up a file, uh, Kindle, iPad, whatever you got. Yeah, totally. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. And I was one of those people who crushed it in a, a sitting. I was one of those kids who read a lot. So it was really. <laughs> I was not. Oh, so no. that's fun. Like I, they, I was like, I don't know how the hell to write fiction because I haven't <laughs> written, I haven't written or read fiction since like high school. So. Oh no, I was a big, big reader, big reader. I went, I was originally an English major before I got into the journalism thing. So, okay. so yeah, that was very, very enjoyable, especially if you're a big fan of college football or any type of fiction, even if you're not a fan of college football, I think it's, it's really enjoyable. I tell people it's actually better if you don't know anything about college sports. Hey, well, well, since we're also talking about this, this is a college football podcast, but Auburn just got self-imposed uh, NCAA sanctions for their basketball team, which I keep being surprised that other schools are getting them before Will Wade and LSU. Um, yeah, shout out to Will Wade and LSU. They some straight gangsters. And I don't know if the NCAA is really loading up to wallop them, uh, but yeah, that, all right. Hey, we'll wait, American Gangster. Uh, <laughs> I think college basketball season should have kicked off by the time we do release this podcast. So. Allegedly, if they get the damn games tipped off. 
<laughs> possibly we'll find out soon enough but get to the actual topic of this which is sec football richard you're a florida grad i recently realized i have too many friends who are florida grads i don't know how this we're everywhere we're um, everywhere many um some of my best friends are florida grads i again don't know how this happened to me but florida's really good this year uh anybody who's listening to this podcast knows i'm a big fan of kyle pitts i was on the Kyle Pitts for Heisman train. I was ready to start the campaign uh, before he got that concussion a couple weeks ago. But the Kyles are lighting up the SEC this year. You know, what are you seeing from the two of them? And where do you think Kyle Trask actually does rank in the Heisman conversation right now? I mean, I, I think he is pretty much the clear leader for the Heisman right now. Now, I think the Heisman will be won and lost or lost, I guess, in the SEC championship game. Um, I think that if he plays well against Alabama and they lose close, Okay, I think he'll probably get it. Uh, I don't think they can get blown out. Um, you know, I, I think that would be an issue if he goes out there and, like, throws two or three picks or something like that. I also do think that if BYU adds a game, or the Washington or whether they get Cincinnati or something, Zach Wilson is going to have a Heisman chance for a Heisman moment as well. And that will be something that, that Kyle Trask is going to have to deal with. Um, so it, it's really interesting, but I mean, he's, like you said, he's absolutely lighting it up. Uh, he's basically only played one bad game this year. Um, and it wasn't even that bad, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm deeply impressed with Florida, deeply impressed with how they've been able to play this year. Um, and you know, it's, it's been fun. And I think that it, it stinks that the world is the way it will, it is because, you know, I would have loved to have been in Jacksonville with a whole bunch of people, uh, with a whole bunch of friends to watch Florida beat Georgia a couple weeks ago. It would have been a lot of fun. Uh, it, it, a lot of people, uh, that, it, that, that win had been a long time coming and quite cathartic for a lot of us. <laughs> and there, as, as an LSU grad, uh, can't be as biased as I would like, but there have been some comparisons of Kyle Trask to Joe Burrow's 2019 season. Um, and many categories, Trask kind of ranks a bit higher. I know their playing styles are kind of totally different, but what do you see about that comparison to Joe Burrow? Yeah, I think it's funny because they've arrived at it through sort of two different uh, offensive structures. Mm-hmm. Like what, what Joe Brady sort of brought to the table last year and what LSU did was this crazy sort of five out, you've got to honor every single receiving threat, and, and we're not going to hide it. Like, we're going to come out, Joe's going to be back there, and we're going to have five offensive linemen in front of him, and you better cover him. Uh, f- the five wideouts that we've got flexed out or you're screwed. Florida, I think, has arrived at it in a different way. Florida's offense, and I've been joking about this, Florida's offense is sort of like this island of misfit toys and this, like, <laughs> this component part sort of offense. Like, people think that Pitts is – and he is – that Pitts is the, the sun, moon, and stars of this offense. It's like Pitts and then Tony, which, yeah, to a point – Scott Pitts hasn't played in three games, first and foremost. And since he's been out, and even before he was out, Florida uses, like, three running backs, three tight ends, Trevon Grimes, who was a wide receiver last year, and it was sort of an understudy to the guys who went to the NFL. Um, Florida has really put this together with a lot of component parts in the passing game. The Florida does not run the ball very well. Uh, and the, particularly, they don't run the ball well in high leverage situations. So they are an explosive offense, and they are a very interesting offense. Uh, but they are a very different offense from LSU. And and I think it's just cool that both these teams can arrive at a similar sense 
and a, an amount of offensive production sort of two different ways stylistically. I just think it's very curious intellectually when you sort of think about football and how teams win and how teams operate. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think we have to mention the Texas A&M loss when we talk about Florida and the college football playoff rankings came out today and five SEC teams are ranked there. But where do you see Texas A&M and Florida when it comes to that issue? Because obviously Florida's going to have to face Alabama. And I think that is an even bigger issue than the loss to Texas A&M. Yeah, Florida, Florida just needs to take care of business. Take care of business and win everything, and you have a three-point loss against A&M, and it's a quality loss. All right. And Texas A&M's loss is not a quality loss. Texas A&M got smoked by 30 points against Alabama, and it should have been worse. Now, Texas A&M, uh, Texas A&M obviously deserves to be ranked in front of Florida, given that they beat Florida. But if Florida goes in the SEC championship game and beats Alabama, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's pretend that Florida goes in and beats Alabama, that's a trump card for Florida to get in the dance. Uh, I truly believe that. Now, I'm very curious to, what's, to see what A&M is going to do on Saturday night against LSU. I don't think LSU is going to win that game, but is LSU going to show a little bit of professional pride and and not get rolled over here against AM. I know that it's been a weird season LSU, uh, a bad season for LSU. But there's no there's no mincing words about it. Season sucked. Uh, and you know, it, it was sort of a, a bit or a joke that they were sort of hung over from 2019 and that this season was gonna be sort of carte, carte blanche, and then they've come out and played like crap. So what is LSU going to do on Saturday night against AM? If AM can really put it on them, uh, I will be very impressed. I, I do think that AM has been playing really, really good complimentary football the last few weeks, and they haven't put too much on Kellen Mond's plate. I think if, if Kellen Mond gets in sort of a uh, – he's got to do too much, I think AM could be in trouble because I think there are some mistakes uh, in there, but it hasn't happened yet. And that's to AM's credit, uh, both on offense and on defense, and particularly how the offense and the running game, Isaiah Spiller, et cetera, helps out the passing game. They are they are, they stay on schedule, they convert on third downs, they are not just functional, they are not just okay. It's a very, very good football team Texas AM has. Yeah, and I think I think we kind of go through this every year. Every year at SEC Media Days, it's like, oh, Texas AM is gonna be really good this year, and like every year they're fourth or fifth in the SEC West and you're like come on and like this is the first year I've personally been like oh wow like they're kind of good and I can say the last time LSU went to Kyle Field was a top five worst night of my life Um, (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about going back with this particular LSU team you know how how bad how bad do you really think this LSU team is like Obviously, Miles Brennan out for the season, probably out for the season is what. Yeah, air quotes out for the season. I don't know why I don't just say it. Yeah, so torn muscle in your abdomen. I don't. I wouldn't be coming back. I don't know about him, but you know, when you look at across the board, even now starting two freshman quarterbacks, how just how bad is this LSU team? I I think it's relative, relative to where they should be bad. You know, I don't think anybody expected LSU to come out and repeat because I said, I was like, at some point in time, losing everybody off of that roster has to matter, right? It it had to. And that was before they kicked the game off. Um, I I think the offense is, uh, Auburn game aside, the offense is roughly what one could expect, particularly now that's a backup quarterback. 
uh, sort of is what it is. The defense is just it it boggles the mind. I mean, I will I might write a book about the Mississippi State game. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, but the thing is, the, it, the same busts are Arkansas torched them on Saturday. Now, obviously, Arkansas has not blown the doors off of anybody this year, really. But like Arkansas should not have been able to do some of the things that they did to LSU's back end on coverage. It just shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this six games into the season, seven games into the season or whatever it is. Um, you know, LSU third in the West. I think if you said that before the season, I wouldn't have sort of looked at you sideways. <laughs> you're, you're behind, definitely behind Alabama, maybe behind an A&M or an Auburn. Okay. But they're like fifth. Right. And it's, uh, uh, that is not it. Um, I think TJ Finley has promised. I think TJ Finley needs to round out. I think he, uh, against Auburn, obviously he was doing too much, uh, too much on his plate. The moment looked too big for him. Uh, and they, the rest of the team obviously did not help him out, but he put them in bad situations. Um, I think that with Coach O, after the South Carolina game, when they asked Coach O, is Miles, at that time, is Miles Brennan going to, you know, going to come back and be the starter? Coach O minced zero words. He was like, yeah, Miles is our starter at that time, assuming he was going to come back. LSU, they knew, that coaching staff knew that Finley's got a hose, but is not rounded out and not ready for prime time yet. Yeah. Uh, definitely played better against Arkansas, obviously. Um, again, LSU won that game, but we we shouldn't be sitting here saying LSU sneaked out a three-point win against Arkansas, and that's fine and dandy. It's not. Right. I mean, I was joking with our friends from And the Valley Shook recently is that this is how people must have felt in the 90s. Um, I, I was born in 1998. LSU has been good for the entirety of my recent consciousness. And, you know, they won two national championships within the first 10 years of my life. And Nick Saban was there when I was one. So this has never occurred to me that LSU could be bad. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we thought Mississippi State was going to be good after that one game, I was like, oh, it's fine. And then it just kept getting worse from there. So, I mean, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, and this has been painful, and I've never not wanted to watch an LSU game before in my life. Um, and that's been my, me most of the season, just not wanting to actually sit there and watch these games on Saturday. Yeah, I, it's, it's been really weird. <laughs> it's been really weird to see them. It, the weirdest thing, I think, for me is that they're not getting better as the season goes on, right? right? And, and now, look, again, I – I hate I, I sort of hate comparing this team to the national championship uh, team because I do think that like LSU captured lightning in a bottle in a way that we are we are not going to understand how good that 2019 LSU team was and how rare that 2019 LSU team was until we really get five six seven years away from this until. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Jamar, uh, Clyde, until these uh, – Joe Brady probably gets a head coaching job in the NFL in the next few years. Until we get removed, until we see Joe Burrow as one of the established stars in the NFL, top-tier NFL quarterback, you're not going to really get it. But, man, that team was special, special. And and you're you're seeing how quickly the floor can drop out. And And – 
a weird off season, the, the coronavirus. Like there are mitigating factors for this LSU team. You want to be fair to them. You want to be fair to everybody in college football right now. But the, the years are going to go by, and we're going to look back on that 2019 LSU team and say, because really and truly, special group of talent, uh, lightning in a bottle, and, and you should really treasure that season if you're an LSU fan because I, I don't know if it's, it's coming. It's, I'm not saying LSU is never going to win a national championship uh, again. I'm saying I don't think a team like that that's that dominant that gets better as the season goes on like that. And, I mean, there's a very clear trend line go up with that LSU team, and it was so fun. It was so fun, and it was a breath of fresh air. Uh, I, I, it, it, that is unique, and I don't know that that happens, but once or twice uh, an era, sort of, so to speak. Right. And, you know, just going forward, where do you see – like, is LSU going to finish the season? Do they – should they even make up these games? Do they need to make up a game against Florida and Alabama? Do either of those teams even need an LSU game where they're probably both going to stomp them into the ground? Yeah, no, which is the wild part. Like, that's the wild thing. Like, I, like, I don't think Florida needs to play this. I don't think – like you said, I don't think Alabama needs to play this team either. Now – I, I may change my tune if they come out and, and are game for it on Saturday night against AM. But if AM smokes them, like what are we doing here? They right. they they go to AM, they lose to AM. What do you what do people think is gonna happen against Ole Miss? Like they may they may beat Ole Miss, but it's gonna be in the 50s because anybody can score on Ole Miss, and Ole Miss can score on anybody, and anybody can score on LSU, apparently. Uh it, it's 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 just what what do people expect? What do what do people want here? Um, I don't know what the SEC is going to do with that December twelfth date. I don't know if Florida needs it. I don't know if Alabama is going to need. It. I, I have no idea, no inside information. Um, but I think I think the next two weeks are really going to go a long way into what may potentially happen for LSU on the twelfth, or if they put another game on the nineteenth. I don't know who LSU may play on the nineteenth. Yeah. So obviously COVID season really screwed everything up. Just a very last run through here. It's technically rivalry week. Um, you know, kinda. kind of most teams are not playing their actual rivals. We have Georgia playing South Carolina. We have Missouri playing Vandy. Um, I think that was a part of the coronavirus switcheroos as well. Yeah, I was actually in studio last night when they canceled that or moved that game around. Tennessee was supposed to play Vanderbilt, moved it. Missouri is now playing Vanderbilt on Saturday. Um, it, was, I could, it, it wasn't Tennessee's problem uh, as far as protocol goes. Uh, Tennessee was not at fault there. And okay. so Tennessee gets the week off, which I think if you ask some Tennessee fans, they are not exactly uh, been out of shape about that. Yeah, uh, if I were a Tennessee fan, I would not be. Um, and we also have Florida playing Kentucky, um, which, okay. But we, yeah, do sure. have, we do have our two, you know, marquee SEC matchups with the Egg Bowl and the Iron Bowl. What are you seeing from those, those matchups? The Egg Bowl obviously changed the landscape of, like, college sports last year with Elijah peeing on the field and causing a whole shit show. Uh, but what do you see from, you know, Leach and Lane and then Iron Bowl? Is that going to be a competition at all? I, I think that I just want with the Egg Bowl, I just want what was promised to me week one. I just want <laughs> chaos. Totally. I want – we talk about Ole Miss defense is a, is a canvas. Paint upon it what you will. 
I want this air raid to look like something like it's supposed to look. A little bit of proof of concept against Georgia after the off week that Mississippi State had. Uh, okay, Georgia's defense probably not exactly the most um, – how should I put this? Probably not exactly the most uh, wanting to be there, I guess, because of Georgia's Georgia doesn't Georgia can't achieve its goals really anymore. Um, it's just that just is sort of the way it is. Um, but to Mississippi State's credit, played well. We're in that game late. Uh, if things break a little bit differently, maybe could have won that game. My question with the Egg Bowl is. Is it going to be that? Is it going to be incendiary? Is it going to be the fireworks? That's what I want as the neutral viewer. For the Iron Bowl, I'm probably not thinking through the Iron Bowl enough because I think Alabama is going to crush Auburn right now. Again, that's why I say I probably should be overthinking the Iron Bowl, but I'm not. <laughs> um, I sort of am just sort of charted to the game uh, because I, I really do not think uh, – I really do not think Auburn can hang with Alabama. I don't think people understand – I think people get it how good Alabama is, but I, I think people people get Alabama fatigue about this team, um, and they just sort of put the dominance is sort of out of sight and out of mind. They've only let uh, they've only allowed twenty points in fourteen quarters, and I know that uh, you know Mississippi State not exactly the most dominant offense, but Mississippi State just sat here and scored twenty four against Georgia, Kentucky not winning any medals. Three points is three points, different deal. Um, I'm not saying Alabama's defense is the 2012 Alabama's defense, but it doesn't have to be because of how efficient that offense is. And that is, that is with their best player out uh, for the season. Alabama is, they are on a different level right now. And I am not entirely certain there's a team truly that there's a team that can get near them uh this team but iron bowl is the iron bowl right and you know auburn on auburn's best day i'm not gonna sit here and say auburn can't put up points with anybody now i think bo nix has basically flatlined as a football player he has not taken the next step a lot of us thought was gonna happen myself included i did uh, coming into the season okay shout out to you um i need to be taking your advice your takes but I, I, I do think on their best day, Auburn, got, they're not scared of Alabama. Right. Like, it's not like there are rivals that don't beat their rivals, air quotes, their rivals. Auburn beats Alabama. Did it last year. Right. Uh, now, that was with Mac Jones, who was sort of thrust into the fire there. And there was some Auburn devil magic, obviously. The ball bounces off of Najee Harris's back and goes the other way 100 yards. Uh, there's some weird stuff. And you probably need some weird stuff to beat Alabama. Shout out Ole Miss twice. <laughs> So I get it. And yes, there may be that because it is an iron bowl, but it, it, we're looking at it on paper. Tide, tide roll. I agree. Uh, personally, like I said, I've been very low on Bo Nix for like ever. I, I thought I couldn't tell if that was just my like internal bias just because I didn't like the guy, but I've been very vocal about my dislike of everybody else's high takes on Bo Nix. So shout out to me exactly um but yeah that's that's all we have today for you richard um you know you want to plug your social media and all of those things uh you can follow me at kennedy landry ken landry on twitter and pod southeastern for zdn networks official southeastern conference podcast
Yeah, uh, you can find me at Twitter at RJ underscore rights in a lot of places on the SEC Network every Monday night, Thinking Out Loud, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central. Um, I got some freelance stuff in the Washington Post. You listen to my podcast, Split Zone Duo. Um, yeah, I'm in a lot of places. Look on the Twitter account. That's where, the, uh, that's where all the, the things live right now. All right, totally. That's a thank you, Richard, for sh- joining us. You know, that's a go Tigers and a go Gator, I guess. Is that <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Have a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope next year we can be together again in Death Valley, eh? Oh, yeah. Hopefully so.